Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Watch him throw the ball, we gon' pick it off You gon' let him hit the hole or you gon' cut it off You gon' play through fourth and long or you gon' punt it off Your defenders have you hit us, put your pads in Don't be looking for the ref to throw no flags in Keep the helmet on, keep the cleats tight You the type to want to win by any means, right? You should look alive, this is Trapper Dive Yes sir, welcome back to another episode of Trapper Dive Podcast, man I am... Your host, Molly Mall, Coach Mall, Hendog Mall, man, all that good stuff, bro. In here, I see you out too. EB is that guy. All rip. I, I see it, man. In here with AJ. AJ, player, what's going on with you, big dog? Cool, cool. I was just I was just thinking on the intro, like, hey, I want I want to meet the guy that made the trap and dive intro. <laughs> hey, look, we you got a couple people that you gotta talk to. You know, it was a collaborative project, but but you you can you can meet these people for sure, hundred yeah, percent, man. Hey, bro, that John, so I ain't gonna lie to you, bro. It'd be like especially when it when I, when I first got the joke sent to me when he first sent it to me, it was times where I'm I'm over here waking up, and I'm like, because I listen to the podcast sometimes. I don't really like listening to like my voice or anything like that. But sometimes I'll play it back. But those days I play it back, bro. I listen to the intro like ten times. Like this motherfucking tough, right? My man Montez, bro. Uh, let me go ahead and get Dre in this thing too. Um, Dre, what's going on? My bad, AJ. But you said everything good though. Oh uh, yeah, everything good, yeah. man. Actually, while we doing the show, I'm trying to get my phone together, which it's like I left the left the store, and it doesn't seem like they activated my damn phone. So you yeah. did say something was going on with it. Did you did you oh you had to get a new phone? It sounded like you said activated. You yeah, had to get a new one. Get a new joint, but it's like it's over here asking me about the eSIM setting up my cellular if I want to transfer from a nearby phone or QR code. And I'm like, bro, QR codes. I'm over here Google. I'm multitasking <laughs> while we're doing the show right now. So well, are you good, bro? Let me go ahead. I'm just trying to Get this thing moving and grooving over here, you know. Down set, hut. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> AJ look real professional today, man. I'm about to, I'm about to say, yeah, the collar on, bro, the hey. sweater and shit. You know what I'm saying? What, hey, what, you, man, what, what, you, know, you just came from a meeting, bro. What's with your new client outfit? <laughs> had a meeting, had a meeting earlier, you know, had to get a little spiffy, you know. Feeling like a new man. Got the got the, the got the locks retwisted. Like my man, like my man Maul. I ain't paid hey, that one bro. I went I went I went I went to the old lady the person I always go to bro but what what, what Lotto say I pay that 500 
Like, look, man, I'm I'm out of my business, man. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie to you though. One sixty for my hair, it's she she better do a good job. I heard it like 140, 150, but 165 or 160, whatever it was, it's not too big of a difference. So I I'm gonna bite the bullet like when the time comes, but um it's actually crazy. Shorty started to open up her schedule again, so I may not even have to worry about that. Anyway, Dre, what's going on with you, player? How you feeling? Man, I'm good. Shit, this victory week, man. Every day I'm feeling a little bit better about this team, you know, trying to watch rewatch the game, you know, see some things and get ready for this game coming up this week, man. Hell yeah. Um, so EB is that guy out who says everybody that's in the comments, everybody that's watching live. If you haven't done so already, hit that like button. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. We definitely appreciate it. Always, always welcome to join the show through the uh actually we got to start i'm about to start opening up the show again um sending an invite out to anybody that wants to join maybe we can save that for tuesdays or maybe just immediate post games we used to do a post game like the instant recaps so maybe we do an instant for the instant recaps we get people on um and and or a couple people on because last last week was really good fellas we had a, a really good outing on the um the post game show uh but anyway like subscribe um podcast audio leave a rating review if you can follow if you aren't but uh, we definitely appreciate that as well um all right so where is my agenda man so i'm i was over here thinking like as the day went on um i know y'all can hear the code in the background so i'm gonna go ahead and put myself on mute in two seconds when i get a floor to you all um but like my thing with uh washington um is is actually is is pretty encouraging um we didn't do a pregame show or a game preview show. That was on me. I had other things that just bled into 7 o'clock and later in the evening. Um, but I, I want to start here and then pose a question um, or a second question. The first one is, where were you all at heading into the game in terms of Washington's chances? Like, if we were doing the show and you gave your game prediction, where were you all at in that instance on Thursday but then secondly, after winning in the way in which they did, um, however you perceived it, like whatever your opinion is on, on how they took the game over, um, with them winning in, in the fashion in which they did, uh, where are you at in terms of being able to uh, compete with like the top dogs on their schedule? Uh, I'll leave it there and give you all the floor. What do you all think? I mean, I, I think for me, uh, going into the game against Denver, my number one concern was how will Sam Howell and this offensive line do against the blitz? Um, you know, Vance Joseph and Eric Bieniemy, uh, if most don't know, you know, coming into the match before they announced it on TV, I knew that they were best friends. Like, they're besties, you feel me? Like, so that's your best friend off the field. And then on top of that, y'all played together in college. Y'all know y'all intricacies throughout the league as Vance has developed to be a successful defensive coordinator in the NFL. Uh, crazy enough, he once was the head coach of the Denver Broncos just maybe four or five years ago. Uh, he's humble enough to go back and take a D.C. job. You really don't see that in the NFL. Um, you know, Bietamy has spent his time as a running backs coach within the NFL ranks and as of lately the OC of the Kansas City Chiefs and now Washington Commanders. So they know each other's tendency very well. And if anything, Vance Joseph had the advantage in this matchup, 
due to the fact that Eric Bieniemy is working essentially with a rookie quarterback in Sam Howell. So that's what I was curious about. And, um, yeah, it, it proved me right during the game. You know, it's just at some point, once you start clicking as an offense, you start clicking as a play caller on either side of the ball, it, it's kind of hard to, to lose that momentum. And once EB got in the groove and Sam got in the groove, everything else fell in line. You could connect the calls. You could connect the play calling even more with each other. And as you've seen, they were able to come back and, and make a run for it. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, I felt like Sean Payton would try to establish the run so he can get into his play action bag and Russell Wilson could go deep. That happened. Uh, I wasn't expecting the target to be Marvin Mims. I clearly forgot that he was even on their team that they drafted him out of Oklahoma. I thought that Jerry Judy would be more productive in the game, being that he's such a dynamic route runner. And he had he had opportunities. It's just the pass rush was so elusive going after Russell Wilson that he couldn't get the ball in Judy's hands. But Judy won a lot of his matchups uh, during that game. But overall, I never expected 21-3. <laughs> I never expected them having to fight back but I'm glad that those type of moments happened this early in the season. Uh, and, and it showed a lot about this team. It showed that Eric Bieniemy has a major influence over this team, not just even from the offensive side of the ball, but defensively. Uh, from the looks that he provided them within training camp of this offense also helps the preparation for Washington's defense when they go against teams that have a more modernized uh, offensive scheme uh, like you're going to see in a Denver, you're going to see in you know the Buffalo Bills this weekend and the following week, the Eagles. Uh, it also showed the conditioning because uh, one of the major things, the altitude in, in Denver, like they were well conditioned. You didn't really see you. You seen some moments of like cramping and, and guys were tired, but you didn't really see too much of it. And that's probably due to the fact that they practice so hard this offseason and, and with so much intensity that they are well prepared for those moments in the second week of the season. So, yeah, I mean, I felt like everything that, you know, we probably would have touched on on my end Thursday uh, came to fruition. You know, thankfully they were able to overcome the obstacle, and I think that gives them great momentum and confidence in their offense, knowing like, hey, they could put up 35. Yeah, uh, going into the game, I honestly expected a, an ugly game, but I didn't know, you know, if I expected a In favor of who? Or... Both. I mean, okay. because after the Arizona game, I just had like a bittersweet taste in my mouth. I mean, because we expected, you know, to come out and probably dominate Arizona, and so to speak, but we were in a dogfight with them. So after that game, I'm going into the Denver game. I know Denver kind of plays an ugly brand of football, and they had just had an ugly 17-16 game with the Raiders week one. So I'm like, all right, well, this is probably going to be some kind of slug it out defensive battle because our offense didn't really inspire enough confidence in me going into the week. But, man, I mean, the explosion they ended up having after going down 21-3. I mean, I think they scored what? They went on a 32-3 run. I mean, who would have ever expected that? I mean, we didn't expect to be down 21-3 either. But, I mean, going forward, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure where you are at because before the game, I said, okay, you have to go 2-0 if you're going up against Buffalo and uh, Philadelphia's week three or four because 
you lose to Denver, you don't want to start. The, I mean, you 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 can possibly start a ball rolling of uh, some big losses. You know, going one and three, one and four. So you don't want to do that. I said Denver is the one game while it's you know hard because that's you know Mile High Stadium. We hardly ever win there. You know, if you win there, you're going into the next week with confidence, and that's what you, you're going now. But still. Denver wasn't the bar for me. I don't know if, you know, I mean, that was just, you know, okay, we're getting to 2-0. We still don't know what you have in this team. But Buffalo is kind of a litmus test. Not to say that you have to beat Buffalo. It's not a must win at all like, you know, Arizona get Cardinal game was for me. But Buffalo is kind of the test to say, all right, this team can't compete going forward. Even if you lose this game to Buffalo, if you can play them competitively and have like a, you know, a really good game, even like the offense is getting rolling – then you feel good going forward. But if you go in there and get blown out by Buffalo, I mean, at home especially, another sold-out crowd this week, then I'm, I'm not sure you have much confidence going forward, um, at least against the Eagles the next week, you know, going to Philly. So right now, you know, I'm still kind of in a wait-and-see mode with this team, but I do think Buffalo offers us some kind of litmus test. Hawk, he asked this, when was the last time the football team went 3-0 in the regular season? Uh, 05, man. That was the last time we went 3-0 in the regular season. Um, so we're we're pushing on 20 years since the Commanders Redskins football team went 3-0 and in the regular season, but man. You, but you know, that's, that reminds me of the 2-0 thing. I didn't realize that the last time we were 2-0 was when 2011. So I was like, damn, because I'm, I'm like, 2011 was dreadful to me. All I remember was Rex Grossman and John Beck. Right, so, mm-hmm. look, 3-0, and we get there, all right, I'm feeling good that maybe we can make a playoff run like we did in 05. But 2-0, I'm like, oh, man, we ended that season 5-11, so I'm going to need a little bit more. So for me, man, I was in this space where, like, heading into the game, first off, I think I did an article as well from Hogshaven um, I would say August, maybe June. I mean, maybe July. I don't know. Something, something around training camp. Like best case scenario for their first, the first month of the season or their first, the first quarter of the season for Washington. Um, and I said their best case scenario after I outlined everything was three and one. Um, and it was starting off beating Denver and beating Arizona, but Philly and Buffalo. You're capable of beating either one. Again, we're talking about best case scenario. So what had to happen for Washington to be in this best case scenario, right? You had to look at your offense. Um, if the offense was underrated by so many people in the offseason and it showed in the regular season that, hey, this is competent, but not only competent, it is potentially explosive by the way Eric Benemy is able to, to get the, the max potential out of everybody, right? Um, now you're looking at an offense that can really put up some points. They put up 35 against Denver. Um, now you're looking at on the defense side of the football. I I really like them, but it's like in order to go three and one, you have to show that they can take over games. Seven sacks against Denver. Com- completely uh shut them out after after a quick 21 that was put up on them. And and we all know at this point, like a coverage breakdown existed and in your first two drives you were you were just you were just getting beat up in the ring and you had to find a way to recover you had to find a way to stabilize and you had to fight back um and they did just that and they really like the amount of pressures that they had on russell wilson it was like 22 23 pressures that i counted 
he was on his ass from the second quarter to the end of the fourth quarter. Like he was on his ass, bro. And like when you take over games to that extent from a, a, a pressure standpoint, a pass rush standpoint, like Dale Real wasn't doing anything exotic up front with his blitzes. Like he called one cover zero blitz the whole game. And everything else was from spies and from people winning up front. And these guys did it in back-to-back weeks to start the, to start the season out. Again, Arizona, their offensive line is okay, in my opinion, uh, but you dominated them up front. Denver, their offensive line is average, but you dominated them up front. When you build up momentum in the way in which they did, in which they've continued to done, uh, continue to do so these these past couple of games, you got a sellout crowd. By the way, that was just announced for everybody who who isn't really aware um, as we're recording or as you're listening. Um, you have a sellout crowd at home against Buffalo. Sure, you may have a few more Buffalo fans than you did Arizona in week one, but you got a sellout. And you're going to have something to play for that's meaningful at home every single week so long as you keep winning. Like, everything is there for you in front of you for the taking. I think... To answer my question directly, what did I think before Denver? I thought that they had a chance. And that's why I brought up everything from the, the article. I thought that they had a chance. I thought that they could beat Denver because I don't see anything special in Russell. But I also think that a team that is still basically brand new in terms of what Sean Payton wants to do and the culture that de- that culture that team really shifting, um, I think you still have a window, regardless of how bad they want to win, you still have a window to go in Denver and, and whoop them. Um, they didn't whoop him. It was a close game. Point being, you had a chance. And um, after the game, I'm sitting here thinking, just like my one of my one of my good friends at the gym, he mess he messaged me and he said, or not even message because I saw him at the I saw him at the gym. He said, "Man, look, I think I told y'all about this guy. He stopped being a fan in 2011. He said he was he was done with the skins. He was tired of Dan Snyder. He ain't coming back. <laughs> but he may be around if there's a new owner." Uh, but he's like, look, man, I watched that game. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you this right now. Like, I think this may be this may be like divine, like a divine season for Washington. Like he wasn't, and I know him to this point, he wasn't saying it from a fan standpoint. He really is detached from Washington still. I'm trying to get him back. But he's like, I think this is a divine season for you all. And I didn't agree with that part, but I did believe that Washington is in this position after you see these couple games and you see that Washington uh, has the capabilities of offense in which they were able to really work through game planning and adjusting according to what the defense is getting them countering throughout the day, setting up, setting them up based on things that they, they, they did earlier in the game. This is a, this is a team that can really go far with a mind like Eric Bennett. And what does that look like? I'm not saying Super Bowl, and I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying 12 plus wins. I'm not even saying 11 plus wins, but I think that you can find your way in the playoffs at the end of the season with an Eric B led offense and a defense who continuously shows up on a week to week basis. They may give up some yards, but they're going to make some plays up front. And you got Emmanuel Forbes out there who, who may mess around and get comfortable because he's a, he's clearly the only person that can catch Derek Forrest dropped another interception this week. Like that was bad. It was right. In the, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a gift. And you drop it, but 
I think that after this game against Denver, you you have a real shot of being three and one by the end of these four these first four games. I think so too. Um, yeah, I mean, you you got to have clear confidence in them. I mean, Maul, I'm actually getting hyped up just hearing you talk about them that way because I kind of was getting you know optimistic, but again, I said I'm waiting for the Bills litmus test. But, I mean, with the way the guys are playing on defense, that defensive line is looking like the best line in football right now at the moment, and that's just making things tough. And like you mentioned with Emmanuel Forbes, I mean, he's putting himself in position to make plays. I mean, if we be honest, he's, he that should have probably been a pick six this uh, first career interception he had, you know, on Sunday. But, I mean, stuff like that, he's going to get comfortable. The other guys are going to start catching us. Like you said, Derek Forrest missed a pick. Uh, we had three drop picks in the first game. So you got to figure they're, they're in position to make these plays. They're there to be made, and they're going to start making them because that defense is just going to get more confident about a week ago. But, you know, you got a tough – you got two tough offenses coming in the next two weeks. This is where you you really want to see them show up. Like you said, all right, they dominated the Arizona Cardinals team that – well, the defense did that they should have dominated with a Josh Dobbs starting. Denver's offense, I mean, hey, they came out there. They got some yards. But second down, they I mean, second half, they were shut down completely. I mean, <laughs> besides that little Hail Mary drive, I mean, we're talking about just complete dominance in that whole second half. I mean, but again, you got this Buffalo offense coming up. And this is actually, you know, even though they are scary because, they, you know, they got Stefan Diggs, even James Cook. I love him coming up now. Of course, Josh Allen. But this is a game where you can actually get this guy to make mistakes and really show out as a defense. Josh Allen can, he will make some stupid decisions. We've seen that in the first game of the season against the Jets so now can this, can this defense really take it to the next level and just start forcing a lot of turnovers in this game I think they can possibly where are we at um actually let me start here we can go to the power rankings as we push forward uh, yeah oh my bad AJ I, yeah I, you good if you got oh, something to say, yeah you got the floor oh yeah I mean I was just gonna chime in um I <laughs> I knew what I wanted to say. Then I guess me trying to figure out if y'all could hear me, I went blank. But, you know, yeah, I, I guess with, with this opportunity ahead of them, you know, with Buffalo, um, as Ron Rivera has been saying since he got in Washington, the team that he would like to replicate the most is the Buffalo Bills. Um, from how they built around Josh Allen and his belief uh, to how they manage their offense how they, they've handled things from a defensive side of the ball, I think this is a huge game for them. I think the main thing that Washington picked up from this win is belief and believing in themselves overall. Like a lot of the a lot of the people within the offensive side of the ball haven't seen themselves score over 20 some points with, with comfort. You feel me? So to, to reach 35, you didn't get no defensive touchdowns. Um, you you strictly had to score on your own will is a big step for this offense and everything, you know, boy, to have belief can be done. So now to run the rest of have to, to keep preaching on that and to be consistent. Um, yeah, because, I mean, in my eyes, Josh Allen – Josh, Josh Allen is kind of like Eli Manning in a sense, but mo way more athletic. Like, Eli Eli was going to give you one or two a game, you feel me, or even more. Josh Allen is definitely going to give them opportunities to make plays on the ball. Now they just have to capitalize on that. Uh, I'm interested to see how the scheme will be. 
Uh, I feel like, Maul, you did a good job on, on Twitter picking up on the clips and showing people how effective Jamin Davis could be within this game if they utilize him as a spy and a blitzer. Like, the number one strength of his game is his athleticism. Like, you're not going to find too many guys at his size that can run a forward, a 4-4 four four pretty much. Like, this is the perfect game to utilize Jamin Davis to be a spy and for this defense to attack Josh Allen. Don't sit back and rush forward because you'll give him all day. And unfortunately, these ends do not play their contained assignments <laughs> correctly often. Um, you know, I'm just curious to see how Jack Real dials it up with, with Jamin Davis because I feel like you have to take advantage of the fact that these guys are starting to believe and understanding like, hey, we could possibly put together a, a total package game. Because I can't remember as a Washington fan the last time I seen the offense and defense play a total A-plus game or even B-plus on both sides together. Yeah, I'm in this space, man, where you brought up a good point with, with Jamin, right? And even for those where, where Jamin turned the game around with the strip sack, um, that play was made by Jamin. Uh, well, excuse me, let me let me rephrase. Um, Chase Young initiated – Russell Wilson's rollout to the left. But I think in the grand scheme of the play and how it unfolded to what AJ's saying in terms of contain, um, you know, Chase Young on that play isn't even I, – I don't know what he did, like, from a from a actual – they got their call out the huddle, he lined up, and he decided he wanted to win inside and, and try and get this quick set. I don't know – if everybody was on board or even everybody knew Ron Rivera mentioned post game, maybe Monday today, Tuesday, and maybe I think yesterday that, and I agree with him. He said that Chase Young had a really good game, but in terms of instances when he wants to make decisions like that, um, he has to communicate with the people next to him that he's going to make a move like this. And somebody has to have his back because there is no, out, no, there is nobody out there to contain if he makes a slice like that um, and cut inside that, that tackle, uh, his inside shoulder. So because he was able to do that, Jamie Davis bounces outside. But to AJ's point, and the reason why I bring that up, you're going up against another mobile quarterback who in 2020 or 2021, 2021, um, we played them. And it, the, the biggest story was how J- uh, Josh Allen was able to escape the pass rush lanes because there was no discipline there was no rush discipline and you're getting another go at this two years later with essentially the same unit like you, you got Montez Sweat there again you got Chase Young you got James Smith Williams John Allen Deron Payne the exact same front two years later how much developed have this unit become um and now you got Jamie Davis who is in his third year um and a little bit more developed you have an athletic deep uh front seven essentially or front six with uh Co- Cody Barton and Jamie Davis uh behind those defensive linemen like how much better have you all become and 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 are you all prepared for a Josh Allen led team who now they're on the road against you he's not much different than what he was two years ago in terms of his play style like you can't screw this up you, you've seen it already so I think to AJ's point, man, that, that front seven, like while they can create havoc, and I would love to see like if they're going to continue because Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, 
those two for sure, they have been they they've been on the heater to start the season. And, and I would love to see if Chase Young can continue since that was his first game. I would love to see if Chase Young can continue, but also communicate as Ron Rivera said, um, and, and work in unison with the rest of his defensive line. So you don't you all don't get exposed on the edges. Um hey, I can't hey, wait to Maul, see what it looks like. And hey, Maul, I was just gonna say I want to say they Josh Allen was probably better because they really had a number two. If I'm not mistaken, Emmanuel Sanders was playing opposite of Stephon. Yeah, he, was he was. Uh, and Cole so Beasley was at, there too. Cole yeah, so you had you had a number two and you had a slot guy. Whereas um, the the only target for real is Stephon Diggs, and of course in the middle of the field they'll try to get Dawson Nix uh, some looks. I really don't think oh, they got Dalton too. I, I, yeah, yeah, uh, the Kincaid. Kincaid. Yeah, they got Dalton but, Kincaid. But to be clear, but I, 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 I meant to say, I meant to say, I meant to say his play style, like not not terms of weapons, oh, but like oh, literally yeah. how he literally how he plays. Like he's still the same person. Oh yeah, but now it's worse. Before it was, it <laughs> was a, you got it was like it before. Like I remember me, uh, me, you, and Dre were having conversations about Josh Allen, and I was like, man, Stephon Diggs is so important to how he developed as a player. Because now you see teams are shadowing Stefan and they're forcing him to go elsewhere elsewhere with the ball. He's hurting right back to the guy he was in college in at Wyoming. Like, so that's where I feel like the main person he really need to see scheme this thing up is Jack Del Rio. You feel me? Because we watched the, the opening game. Like the Jets still won with Zach Wilson as quarterback. And he was he was giving up the ball. He wasn't making no plays from an offensive standpoint of the game. But they kept the Buffalo Bills intact with just their defense overall. Like if you have Eric Bieniemy putting guys in the right position on the offensive side, Washington has just as better of a defense than the New York Jets as far as talent wise. But scheme wise, Jack Del Rio got to be a bit more aggressive. I think you probably seen that. Um, from the all 22, he got a bit more aggressive towards Russell Wilson later on in the game, uh, with sending different blitzes up the middle or cornerback blitz or, or safety blitz, whatever. I think he just has to dial it up a bit more and not be scared of possibly giving up the big play because the difference between Russell Wilson and Josh Allen, uh, mobility is Russ typically is is getting out the pocket to possibly pick up a couple little yards here and there or dink the ball out. While he's running, he's looking downfield the entire time for the big play. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the match I'm looking for is Josh Allen pretty much versus Jack Del Rio. Um, where are we at? Let's go ahead and get this power rankings out of the way. Where is it at? Okay, here we go. Last week, I think we said – Dre and AJ, you all mentioned. I don't. I'm looking at it. So, you all mentioned like 20 around 22, 23, and I think the average was around 21 in terms of the the, the rankings. Um, let's see where we are this week, man. Uh, where do you all? And I think we can start doing this moving forward. Where do you all think they should be? And where do you all think the average is this week? Um. Yeah, we can start there, and I'll I'll go ahead and go through the list after. I think they should start. Well, I think they should be around thirteen. I would personally put them around thirteen. 
I think the average is going to be between 15 and 16. I think some people are still going to be a little bit hesitant because mm, okay. people aren't too high on Denver. So they're going to be a little hesitant to put us up right now. You know, so I'm going with 13 for me, 15, 16 average. Okay. Uh, For me, I'm trying to remember last week, I think I said 23. Yeah, both I'm both y'all in the same range, Dre, Dre and you. Yeah. Y'all, y'all in the same range. Move to twenty. Uh, you know you gotta you gotta beat some of these teams that we expect to be in the playoffs, uh, even though they're not in your conference. But you know if you if you beat Buffalo, oh yeah, you can possibly get bumped up to a thirteen, like Dre just mentioned. But you know I want to see how you do against these elite quarterbacks. Like I still think Russell is elite, but he's also adapting to Sean Payton's system. Um, but yeah, with Buffalo. Yeah, if you stop if you stop Josh Allen and you go into next week against Philly going against Jalen Hurts, three and you gotta get bumped up all the way. Hey, I think you I go mean, top ten, you beat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah if, top you, 10 if sure. you if you beat Buffalo, you move up to top ten because we expect Buffalo, even though you know Josh Allen has had his hiccups, we expect them to to still be a dominant team within this league overall. And even the Jets game. You know, if you take away those turnovers that he had, they they probably are two and zero going against us this weekend. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, yeah, so I, I I have them twenty. I, I moved them up three spots. To to AJ's point, bro. Like, depending on if if you lose the Buffalo, depending on how like what the loss look like, if even if you lose to them, right. And and if it's a respectable loss from a from an evaluator standpoint, and you and you come back and beat Philly, like I think you still top ten. Like you putting yourself on the map after these two games. That that this like those first two games that you beat Arizona and Denver, that, those weren't fluke. Like we we can we can compete with Buffalo. We can compete with Philly. We beat Buffalo or we beat Philly or we beat Buffalo and Philly. Like that's kind of. The, the different tone that you can kind of set with this opportunity in front of you, I'm sure they feel it. But to your point, uh, or, or I guess to, to answer where we are, Dre, you were closer in terms of the average. Um, the average on the dot is at 16. Um, that was the average number. Uh, we were as high as eight. Um, and that came from CBS Sports. Okay, so Newport put in a, he put in a prediction. He says 14 would be his number. And 18 is the average. So Newport, you were you were close as well. Um, we were as high as eight from CBS Sports and as low as 24. And the 24 came from who was that? The lines. Another that's the gambling site. Um, ESPN had us ranked. Where are we at? 12th. Um, so is the athletic. Uh we we got bumped up from both of those. ESPN had a 21 last week. Uh, 16 from the athletic the week before as well. Uh, Pro Football Network has us at 14. Last week we were at 19. Uh, Bleach Report has us at 15. The week before we were at 25. Um, so all in all, moving up uh, in the rankings from a power ranking standpoint, fellas. I think to to continue this conversation and just kind of put a spotlight on a couple people. Um, Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell is gonna be one thing, like in detail, but uh, Brian Robinson 
to start his. I mentioned you in this one, Dre. Um, two games in, uh, he has 102 rushing yards after contact. Uh, that is eighth most for running backs in the NFL to this point, two weeks in. 13 rushes for a first down, uh, which is first in the NFL for running backs to this to this point. Um, and nine missed tackles forced on runs, which is tied for fourth uh, most by running backs this season. Um, Brian, we, we've talked about it at nauseam at this point. Uh, and, and I ain't about to hit, sit here and say, man, AJ, you done lost your damn mind for thinking that these coaches don't like these running backs. Uh, I'll, I'll wait until the season is over to say that. <laughs> but what I will say, what I will say right now, um, is that I, I'll just continue to like stand on my point in that, and I don't know where Jay Tyler is because I saw him talking crazy in the comments last week. I just didn't, I didn't want to work up the energy to talk to him. Um, my thing is, it's not about like his scheme. Like we acknowledge that this is a pass for pass first offense. It's going to be brand new to us in terms of visually seeing how this offense is going to perform. You got to get adjusted to how the enemy likes to call plays. But I think, again, when you look at a guy like Brian Robinson, sure, like he may not be a home run hitter, which I want to say by now as well, he ran a four, five, six, six. Um, and that's not a great 40 time in terms of somebody who's explosive or an elite speed threat. But my point is like, there's people who's run like four sixes and, and can house a 60 yarder. Like that, like a 40 time and, and, and what you've seen, like don't say that he's not a home run hitter because he hasn't done it yet. Like there hasn't been an opportunity really provided to him to hit a home run. And I think that's, that's the most important thing. Like if you get him and he, and he sees a crease and he hits it, um, there's going to be opportunities where that second and third level support isn't right where it's supposed to be. And he's, and he's going to house something. And I think that's the most important thing moving forward. But my point, when I circle back to Brian Robinson, if you don't find a way to get him involved early in terms of the ground game and stick to it so he can start, he can continue to, to build momentum, to have a rhythm, to find the flow in the offense, to find a flow in the game as the game moves along. I think that is, that is the thing that, uh, kind of prevents these guys from being a little bit more dominant of an offense early on. We kind of see what the pressure looks like up front. Um, side note, uh, I I don't think that Charles Leno had a terrible game. Um, I think if we all watch the tape, uh, and, and by the way, there will be a film session on Charles Leno coming out. Um, I just want to give him a couple more games so I can have a full four game evaluation showing everybody that everybody's narrative is bullshit. Um, but I think that the offensive line altogether from a collective standpoint, uh, when you, when you have so many dropbacks, uh, in addition to Sam Howe, who's still inexperienced, people don't understand that some of these sacks are on Sam Howe, um, not from him just holding the ball, maybe from his depths. Like we talked about that in the first game, like sometimes his, his drop, his depth drop is, is, is going to be a problem. Um, and it's not always consistent. Like these things get him in trouble. Uh, but I think Brian Robinson is the offset to that. And that's where it's, when my head is like, you got to find a way to get him involved early. You got to find a way, even if you're going to throw it 20 times, find a way to get the ball to Brian Robinson in his hand at least seven to 10 times in the first half if you're going to throw it 20.
Yeah, no, and I want to go back to your comments about Brian Robinson, man. Uh, I think AJ wanted to say something. I don't know if his computer's having issues. <laughs> but, no, I mean, Brian <laughs> Robinson, you mentioned me, and, Ma, we've been kind of talking about it, and someone even mentioned us um, in the tweet saying, that, oh, well, you know, we still got to get rid of, rid of him at some point because he's not a home run hitter, and that's what we need. I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to upgrade the position, I'm always in favor of upgrading the position. But – Brian Robinson is fine for what you want to do now. He can, he's definitely can do whatever you need him to do in the running game right now. We, we may not need him to hit a home run hitter, but I love that when he gets going, he, when he gets that head of steam, people don't want to tackle him. I mean, he's like, he's like a horse running down the field when he gets going. You even saw it on the touchdown run, even though it wasn't like a long touchdown run. But when he picks up steam, I mean, the guy can get going. He decided to have those opportunities, as Maul said. And as far as Charles Leto go, uh, Maul, you had me laughing. Um, I was reading the thread when you had posted and you said, yeah, you know, Charles <laughs> isn't as bad as you all think. And, you know, you provided oh, yeah. some little film analyst and everything. Someone responded, delete this tweet. He's ass. I mean, <laughs> you can oh, for real, somebody that. said that, bro. <laughs> somebody <laughs> said that. They like, delete this tweet. Charles Leto's ass. Hey, I, can't, like, <laughs> I can't wait till the film session come out, bro. Like, I, I, I know I didn't. I know I've only been putting words out there this season. Like, I haven't showcased Charles Leno yet. But when I tell you all, because I think here's the main thing, Dre, you got the floor. But my mm-hmm. main thing is like people, people look at like obviously point being, let's go to the Broncos game. He had a bad couple of plays in a row in the first quarter, early second quarter. That's all you're going to know, because that's the only thing you remember from Charles Leno of that game is that he got beat on a sack and they showed it on a replay and it looked bad and it looked bad again. And it looked bad again when you watch it for the third time. Like I understand that, and and I don't even it's it's not me saying uh he's this greatest player ever, but I think y'all need to understand and put into context like he's an above average left tackle that you can win with, and for you all to sit here and say oh he gave up a sack he's ass, he's going to give up a sack. That's what he does. Like he's going to give up one or two, and 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 I and and, and I'm and he may not even do that every game. But at the same time, you're looking at a person who has some issues. He's not an elite left tackle. So stop judging him accordingly. It's like all these all these people have to be perfect. Like Sam Cat, Sam Cosme is one of our best offensive linemen, and he's gotten he's had some issues throughout the season. Like hasn't been like terrible, but he's had some issues. And I think that's kind of the thing when you have this narrative, bro. Like people don't people don't look into the whole game. And, and to be honest with you, some of the people, majority of the people who have these comments on Charles Leno, they don't, they don't even watch, they don't even run the, they don't even run the game back or they don't even, they don't even look at all 22 to see like what he did hey, Ma, on a down to down basis. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it for you. Here, here's the issue with football, right? And this is one of the main things for me today uh, that I took away from just like Twitter. I ain't even really say too much. Cause I was just like, man, maybe I'll just vent about it when we get on here. It, it doesn't matter if you work in the sports industry or not. At the end of the day, there's certain people that understand football and know the ins and outs, the one the one oh ones of football. And there's others that are just casuals that just follow along with whatever is spewed out there. You feel me? That's why we have these weekly, not weekly, we have these daily debate shows with the Skip Bayless, the Keyshawn Johnsons, the Michael Irvins, the Shannon Sharps, the 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 Stephen A. Smith. And then on top of that, you got your local radio pundits just providing their own damn commentary 
and some people treat it as gospel. There is a lot of people floating around in fan bases, not just Washington, but in all sports and especially on Twitter that don't know the ins and outs of the game. So they just run with a narrative. And the narrative is Charles Leno is bottom tier attacker. You know what I mean? But you can win some, you're going to lose some. No matter if you're Trent Williams, Larry Brown, uh, Willie Rofe, <laughs> Anthony Munoz, Daryl Green, Deion Sanders, Darrell Revis, Randy Moss, it could go on and on. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some, you're going to have some bad games, you're going to have some amazing games, you're going to have some average games. You feel me? And it's just like, I really don't have that much of a problem with the offensive line. You feel me? Like, I understand the major thing here at hand is they're learning a new offense. They're also learning one another. You have to play as a unit on the front, on the front line of the offense and defense. These guys are in their second game collectively playing all four quarters as a unit. Andrew Wiley was not a previous Washington commander. Sam Cosme started off at right tackle last year. Sadiq Charles been sitting on the bench drinking Gatorade, now getting reps. Nick Gates was in New York chilling, watching Saquon break ankles. And Charles Leno is adapting to a new system and having a new guard next to him, new play calls, everything. So it's like for people to criticize guys and, and just come out here and be like someone is ass, whatever. Like even the Andrew Wiley thing. I knew when they signed him who he was. I'm not expecting him to come to Washington and become an all-pro. Like, they also shouldn't be expecting that. And I don't believe that they are. they just like, let's just put you here to help us. You feel me? Because you also know KC's uh, scheme. You know what Airbnb wants. We need, if you look at any team, whenever they add a new coordinator of some sort, they bring somebody from that, that, that tree that understands exactly what that person wants so that they can be in those rooms and preach to the other guys, this is what EB wants. You feel me? This is what Jack Del Rio wants. This is what Ron wants. We've we seen it. In Ron's first year as, as a Washington commander or Redskin at the time, he brought in Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis couldn't play no more. Thomas Davis got $4 million to get presence within that locker room and to be a guy on the sideline to motivate people and help them understand exactly what Ron Rivera wants to set up his culture. That's just how teams are ran. Udonis Haslam can't do shit for the Miami Heat. <laughs> but he sat on that bench to help the younger guys, the undrafted individuals, understand what the board. Miami Heat culture is and to get on board. And it's like, bro, you're not going to have all pros across your NFL team. There's 53 guys on a roster plus. You know what I mean? Like, you're not about to make a Pro Bowl team. And if you look around the league, a lot of the guys are Pro Bowlers typically aren't first or second round picks. They're later drafted guys that just got coached up and understood their assignment and created the niche for themselves. So that's that's my issue, you know, with this thing. Like, at the end of the day, we can't pay attention to all these people and, and, and the criticism that they give. I think what you do with the All-22 and others are doing and what you're going to do with the film study will help those that want to know and want to learn hey, what is this guy really doing at a high level, an average level, or needs to improve on? If, if, if they're not the ones that really want to dive deeper into it and get in depth, 
they're going to be the ones that say, oh, this person sucks, and they have no clue what the hell they're talking about. they just running their mouth, just diarrhea at their mouth, pretty much. <laughs> see, and, and that's why I brought up the point, because Maul actually brought up some film to say, hey, man, you know, this guy isn't as bad as you think he is. I mean, he, he lost the rep. But that's the problem when you play positions like left tackle or cornerback. You know, you can sit up there and do your job 95% of the game, but people are going to remember that 5 or 4% where you gave up a catch or you gave up a big play. That's all people are going to take away. And it's hard to shake narratives. That's one of the things that's annoying about mm-hmm. any fan base. It's like once you have a narrative, that's like the offensive line. It's people have been saying this. Yeah, this, this people have been saying this offensive line has been ass since the draft. Oh, this offensive line is bad. This offensive line is bad. So any they're they're already coming in every game saying this is bad. You can't show me any different. I don't care about your little film. They don't want to see any of that. We said it was bad months ago. It's bad now. So it's no nuance. Like with Charles Leno, like I said, Charles Leno, I think he's solid. I mean, he's not Trent Williams. He's not Chris Samuels. Most of the, most of the people in this fan base are spoiled. We are used to elite left tackle play. But you can get by with solid uh, left tackle play. You're just not going to get those games where you're suspecting the Stonewall an edge rusher for a whole game. Your best, on the left that or the right best edge rusher, like Michael exactly. Parsons. You ain't yes. gonna, you ain't gonna, you gonna have Charles exactly. gonna one on one with Michael Parsons right. all game and expect <laughs> them to shut him down yes. every single time, bro. And that's the thing because when we had Trent Williams, we weren't really scared of elite pass rushers. We were like, okay, nope. if we got Trent Williams, you know, he can, he's gonna neutralize this guy for the most part, and they're gonna probably have to move that guy to the other side just to try to get off a little bit. But Trent Williams. He held it down. Chris Samuels held it down. Now, people see Charles Leno. Like I said, he's not going to go out there and shut those guys down. So that's why he's ass to them. It's either you're elite or you're ass when you play left tackle and cornerback in this fan base. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just interesting because it's like it's just overall in football right now, man. Like I'm seeing people eating Justin Fields alive. But it's like, are you paying attention to his offensive coordinator, the plays that he's calling? Like, how is that player supposed to be comfortable? That player is obviously not comfortable within that scheme, and they're showing you on Sundays that they're not comfortable with what is being asked them, and it doesn't make sense. So now this player is is, is asked when it's really the coaching. Like, people forget coaching matters. And, yeah, at the end of the day, there's not many tackles in this league that's going to stop a Michael Parsons, for example. Even Trent Williams going to have his, his little issue. Like, Michael's gonna get his, like, bro. Yeah, but at the end of the day, the D coordinator also knows I'm gonna line Micah over the, I'm gonna line him up over the center. I'm gonna move him all over the place. Like it really boils down to you playing as a collective unit because even if you have an all pro tower the center, everybody else has to do their job together to make a great offensive line or defensive line. That's simple, but it is. Yeah, man. Hey, PC, I see you in the chat. Um, said I agree with Maul. Charles Leno has been slightly above average at left tackle. Fans want Trent, Laramie Tunsil, Lane Johnson out of Leno. It ain't happening. Leno is priced well and good. Uh, the anti-Leno people don't know football. They're, <laughs> they are broke. No name. Stephen A. Spiffs like him. They don't know football at all and barely watch it. Uh, the annoying thing in our fanboys is people. I actually never heard this part. PC, he said another uh, annoying thing in our fan base is people actively rooting against Manuel Forrest because they wanted Christian Gonzalez. I'm sick of that shit. Um, yeah, that's that's brand new to me. I'm not gonna say. I'm not saying you wrong. I just I never even noticed that people was rooting against Manuel Forbes. Nah, I seen it. I seen it, but it also comes back to the thing that a lot of people don't know football. 
they don't understand you know to be a ball hawk you got to take risks and there's certain things that's going to happen you know that that oh, deep pass that deep pass that Marvin Mims caught on him I don't that wasn't even like a technician it's a speed he release bro he just went yeah he just he just ain't get, Forbes ain't even get the line up for real you feel me like if you go back and look at that play, he ain't even get set. And I seen that live because the camera was actually on him in that moment. He ain't even get to set his feet. You got a guy that run a 4-3 <laughs> already running, and you ain't even get into your position to start backpedaling. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just people don't understand football and the different nuances and niches that, that people bring to the game. Like, Chris and Gonzalez is nowhere close to the ball that Emmanuel Forbes is. But if you're gonna if you're gonna take a ball hawk, you have to understand this person is going to give up some plays, but the reward is flipping the field, like you seen Sunday, which we we seen take, but if you want to, you can go check out uh let mob tell it at twitter.com and you can see easily if Emmanuel Forbes doesn't slip after getting that ball, that's pick six, pick six. to the crib. Pick six, man. Um, hell yeah, let's get some quick hitters out the way and we get about it here, man. Um, first one, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. Uh, should we start with okay, Eric Ben and me and Sam How? Oh, no, say that one for last, Charles. Uh, Cameron Cheeseman, Cam Cheeseman, whatever his name is. Um, Cam Cameron Cheeseman, I think it's Cameron. Um, he's being retained to this point, according to John Kime and a couple of other uh John I think John Kime was first, but a couple of a couple of other media reporters they're gonna keep him. Obviously, at this point, the date of which we're recording, September 19th, um, or maybe even 18th, uh, is when it happened. But they brought in like four or five long snappers. Uh they tried out uh for Cameron Cheeseman. Um, they're keeping them for now. Big deal, no big deal. Where you all at? I mean, when when it comes to Ron Rivera in this situation with the long snapper, I don't know if like Ron Rivera loves like Cheeseman's mom's cookies, uh, her chili, her chicken noodle soup, or whatever the case is. But there should not be loyalty to a long snapper that's out here snapping the ball and the ball is dribbling like we playing basketball. Like there's there should be no loyalty to that because at the end of the day, he's costing you games. He's costing you opportunities. Like, what what more do you want? You miss, you miss, you clearly missed a field goal earlier in the game because of this poor snap that was dribbling on the ground. You know, luckily Tresway was able to still pick it up, but you missed it because of that. Because everything is about is about timing when you're kicking. And if that ball doesn't get snapped correctly, the whole timing is thrown off. Then you decided to go. You, and you know, like early in the week, they asked you about your long snapper. You knew this. And you decided still, I'm going to attempt a 59-yard kick instead of punting the ball and my defense is firing. You still went for it. It was another bad snap, which led to a missed kick. And it's like, you're going to continue to have this dude on your roster, a long snapper. All he does is snap the ball. Like, he don't play no. nothing else. He don't do nothing else. Why can't you just move on, bro? Why is yeah, it so it, hard? I mean, it's, it is funny because, you know, I told you, you know, when I brought this up in the offseason, it was like 
everybody laughed at me like, man, you know, we bringing up the long snap. I'm like, but it's, it sounds like an issue because I'm hearing it from multiple people that he's having these issues. And now Ron finally starts acknowledging. I mean, I think he acknowledged it before the um, game last week as well, after the Cardinals game. But he says it's going to cost us a game or it can cost us a game at some point. So, you know, he brings in these guys. He brings in some long snappers. Now, you bring in multiple long snappers. You can't tell me that all of those guys look bad when you brought them in. Somehow, I just think he did kind of a safe face to say, all right, we're going to put cheese on notice. I think that's all this was about because they still want to protect this draft pick. I mean, we, you know, everyone is going to clown. We, we've been clowning it, you know, that, hey, man, he traded up for a long snapper. But now p- other people are going to start catching wind to this if you cut this guy early. So, like I said, I think he brought in these long snappers this week to kind of put cheese on notice to say, hey, you know, this this doesn't get corrected. This is this is the direction we're going in. Because you can't tell me that all five of those guys that came in, you know, somebody looked worse than Cheeseman at snapping the ball. This is what those guys do. Um, I'll I'll say one quick thing. Um, I, I do think this is a big deal. Uh, long story short, because you all touched on it plenty. You can't wait for a bad thing to happen before you make a decision. Like point blank, period. Like you, you see a trend, and if the trend is not going in the way in which you desire or that you think is going to benefit the team, then get that shit out of here. Um, you already acknowledge publicly that it's a it's a concern. Um, so I'm not in that space where I'm going to sit here and say I'll give Cheeseman some more time. Um, sure he's in his what second or third year, so. You know, it is what it is in that regard. But I, I think that if it's a concern to you, um, it's only a long snapper. Like, you don't have to preserve it for anything. You don't have to – you don't have to – and it's no disrespect to Cheeseman because that's his job, right? Like, this is his livelihood. But at the same time, we're talking about from a team standpoint, why wait for something to go bad in order to make a decision on him? Like, just do what you got to do. Um, Last thing. Uh, where are we at? Um, Eric Bandami and Sam Howe starting to gain some national attention. Um, uh, for those who don't know, this was the first time in franchise history the game against Denver, in which nine players had at least two receptions um in a game. Um there was some things I don't have the quotes, I don't have the, the interviews on hand, but there was some national media uh personalities who were paying attention starting to pay attention to uh eric Bieniemy and sean and, and sam howe uh the draft network was one of them uh somebody that we follow keith sanchez matter of fact uh he's been on our show throughout the offseason maybe draft season um and some other people i believe as well was giving some credit to sam howe and eric Bieniemy. um let's let's answer this one are, are you are you buying the hype in terms of like, are you are you sold on this duo? Let's yeah, that's actually the question. Are you sold on this duo uh, as of as of now, or do you need more time? <laughs> um, I'm not sold on the duo, but I'm loving the credit that Eric Bieniemy is getting uh, because, as you touched on the the outlets that have uh, spoken on him, you know, shout out to the Keith Sanchez uh, from the Draft Network. I also read an article earlier by Jason Reed, who used to be a beat reporter for the Washington Redskins. Uh, He works for uh, Anscape, which is a partnership of 
ESPN kind of focusing on the black stories in sports overall. Uh, he highlighted Eric Bieniemy's uh, influence as far as like culture, tone setter, uh, being someone expecting, you know, perfection, intensity. Also, uh, Brian Baldinger did a good job of highlighting a couple tapes on on uh, on the game from Sam Howe and was saying, oh, this is what the players were complaining about during the offseason. Uh, because those that know the game and that have been around the game understand that you don't build that resiliency and you don't come back from 21-3 games without that type of individual around that is expecting you to still be great. You didn't see – you didn't really see it bother Eric Bieniemy at all. He felt like they were still in the game. And we've seen that in his tenureship with Kansas City, even with Mahomes at quarterback. We've we seen that against Buffalo Bills recently with the Kansas City Chiefs, against the Jacksonville Jaguars, even uh, a game where Deshaun Watson was still playing quarterback for Houston, Texas, where the Chiefs looked like they was getting blown out to possibly go to the conference championship game. And the Chiefs ended up coming back in that game being down by maybe 18. Yeah, like 24 nothing. They ended up coming back and winning that game. And if I'm not mistaken, that same year advanced to the Super Bowl uh, in, in the divisional round of the playoffs. So it's like that's within his nature. He didn't, he didn't uh, get rattled. I think that, um, you know, EB being on the staff and being around these guys – has definitely rub off on them. It'll be interesting to see how it goes if they continue to win, they keep the streak up, and they start beating some better teams. Uh, and you know, let's say if they are in the in the talks for playoffs or they clinch a playoff berth, you're gonna hear more conversation. Who who gets the credit, Ron Rivera or Eric Bieniemy? And it's not something that we necessarily got to bring up on our own. It's just gonna happen by circumstance because. It's clear as day what the the main change has been for this organization, and it's not just quarterback. It's an individual. <laughs> it's an individual within that that locker room, within that facility, that has changed a lot as far as perspective from players overall. And on top of that, bringing his offensive tools. Uh, to answer the question, Maul, I am one week away from being sold. I mean, <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, that's not to say that if they go out there and they have a bomb of a game, then I'm off the bandwagon completely. But no, I mean, you go out there and you you do something against the Bills. I mean, you put up. I mean, I'm not going to go out there and say, hey, you know, expect 30 points or so. But if you go out there, your offense is, you know, giving you a reason to win this game outside of the defense. I'm sold on the two because they they have made me, you know, at least after the Cardinals game, I was a little skeptical. But then to see him come back and respond the way he did in the Denver game, I mean, not just in the Denver game going into it, but the Denver game throughout it. I mean, he had adversity in the game and Sam Howe, you know, eventually rose above the uh, adversity. And you just see some of these guys like the guys who love film, you, Maul, a couple of other guys out there I've seen on Twitter. People are loving the concepts and showing the concepts and breaking them down really quite well what Eric Bieniemy is doing. And they, I mean, you can see the vision and now you just want to see them consistently execute throughout. I mean, not just Sam, but the rest of the office as well. Um, I can't wait till they really get it going because I want to see Josh um, Jahan Dotson start to get going. You know, Terry hasn't even really gotten off yet. I mean, obviously he had the beautiful touchdown catch over the past weekend, but he hasn't even gotten off yet. I mean, so it's so much more we make and see with this offense. But like I said, I'm about one week away from being sold, man. I'll be insufferable if they are if they go out there and look really good against the Bills. 
So are you are you sold on the duo or are you sold on Eric Bieniemy? I'll be sold on the duo, and I mean, but obviously, if I'm sold on the duo, I'm sold on Eric Bieniemy, and that's going to link Sam Howe too. So I'll be sold on Sam as well. I'll be the biggest Sam Howe fan if he leads us to three and zero next week, and I'm all in. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I'm in that space, bro. I ain't gonna lie to you. What did PC say? Said the Cardinals game is hard to judge because of one drops, two Gibson fumble, three weather rain. Oh, somewhat, man. I don't know, man. You know what I'm saying you can judge, you can judge the shit if you really want to. Um, where am I at? I'm in this space, bro. Uh, I think that this combo. How do I describe it? Because I don't want to. I'm not jumping the gun, but I don't want to make it seem like I'm jumping the gun with, with what I say. Um, I think that uh, a, a an experienced coordinator with a new toy that has some elite traits can develop into something special. The enemy has a background and a resume that shows he is very much capable of competing against some of the best defensive coordinators out there. And a lot of people didn't believe in him because of who he was under. Right. We know that. But at the same time, you're talking about a person who has dealt with adversity. Right. That's just the hiring process, the the head coaching search, all these interviews getting turned down from everything. And a person who had to remain in Kansas City, not like a hostage because you're in a very good situation, but you had to remain in Kansas City because nobody believed in you for four years and or maybe three years. I don't know when he started getting all those interviews for at least three years. You had to remain in Kansas City. And you're getting this opportunity to showcase what you want to do with a quarterback and an offense that has a plethora of weapons to choose from when you want to target them. Example, Terry McLaurin. He got two catches specifically on offense where Sam Howe and Eric Bieniemy targeted him if the Denver Broncos were playing off coverage with their second string cornerback, right? And they gave Terry McLaurin the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage and allowed him to make a play. You don't see that much from Scott Turner. It may be very simple, but you didn't have those opportunities for Terry McLaurin. And the further you get into the season, the more opportunities he'll get. And the more opportunities he'll get, all it's going to take is for him to make one defender miss and he can take it to the house. That's somebody that's getting your your quarterback some easy touches, some easy passes, some easy completions. And that's a coordinator who's getting the ball in your playmaker's hand as quickly as possible. You look at the quarterback position. He has his flaws. Like we talked about sometimes like his his drop, uh, his quarterback drops, like the depth of his drops can get him in trouble. He can hold the ball on too long. But you're seeing somebody who, like, when when you see a, a a play like he made to John Bates, who's running an out and up on, on third and 14 or, or third and long, and this man hits the a 30 – Five yard pass in the in the honey hole, bro. Like in between the cornerback and the flat, the cover two cornerback in the flats, 
and then the safety, the 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 half safety right over top of that cornerback, and you hit it right in the goddamn bucket to John Bates, who is not that. I don't care what anybody says, bro. He's not that great of a tight end, uh, a pass catching receiver. But the pass was so perfect, it's impossible for you to drop that shit. Then you get that jump to Terry McLaurin, uh, on your on your uh second touchdown of the day, or maybe first. I don't I don't remember, but. Uh, I think that was the first pass touchdown. The first touchdown of the day, a 30-yard bomb in, in, in triple coverage, essentially, but only in a place that Terry can get it. And if he drops it, it's no harm, no foul. And it's in the bucket, bruh. Like, and then he had passes last week that we showcased, I showcased in the film session on Twitter, um, and, and that plenty of people have showed. Like, some of his throw angles, some of his off-platform platform throws some of his throws where it's like it's not an effort ball it's an fu ball like those are things that you could build on from a coordinator standpoint do i think that there's something growing here with these two i do and and i'm and, and, and am i excited to see it uh and, and see what it becomes i am do i does all of my excitement mean that it's going to lead to anything i don't know um I'm just very intrigued because this is a situation where you you don't have these two combinations come by in Washington that often, and you would love to see if the enemy can really build this offense to something that he that he envisioned when he took over an offense and he took over a team, and that what does that mean for Washington? Given that we were the ones that gave him a shot, so it's two games in. I'm not gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna state my excitement, but I'm not gonna give you outrageous expectations. I won't do that to anybody. I mean, but I think all three of us confidently can sit here on this panel before we wrap up the show and say that we are excited of the marriage between Terry and Sam. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not sold on EB and Ron Rivera, but as far as how and Eric the Enemy, you can see, you can see the better understanding of one another. Because, like you said, with that that Terry McLaurin. Um, that play that he caught for a touchdown, that was dialed up specifically to go and make that play for Terry McLaurin. You haven't really seen that happen since Terry's been with Washington. You haven't really seen a play predicated just for Terry in, in the heat of the moment of a game like that. Like, that's EB trusting enough in Sam Howe. You make this play. It might be triple coverage on there, but you go make this play. And let your dog be a dog. And Terry is a dog. You feel me? And he went up the goddamn thing and scored. <laughs> well, hey, well, I wanted to say one thing, one last thing on Sam Howell. Like as excited as I am going forward to see what him and Eric Bienemy can become. And Sam is really showing me things that I haven't seen a Washington quarterback do in a while. It's one thing that does concern me, and I do hope that they're able to find a way to combat it going forward. It's the batted balls because, I mean, we had one that went for an interception in week one, had another one that could have went for an interception this week, and I think he had like three or four batted down total in the last game alone. So that's something I want to see get corrected going forward. I know that's going to be kind of hard because Sam's a smaller quarterback, and those defense linemen are going to get those hands up. But some of those plays could be costly, as we did see in week one and almost in week two. I had to get that boy uh, 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 a hype BBL. <laughs> you might have to give him a hype BBL to not. To now they got those shoes. Now me. you can put the insole in your cleats. Hey man, he better put a whole bunch of them things in his cleats because 
you're going to continue to see that. I, I really don't know if he's going to have that many clear clear angles to throw the ball, like, unless you move him out the – but, yeah, that's something you just got to kind of deal with being 6-1. Yeah. Um, do I think Jahan will get more targets against Buffalo? Honestly, he – that's actually a really interesting question. Um, we can circle back to that come Thursday, but at the same time, I, I will say right now, um, undoubtedly that I think that he will. Um, I, I don't even know how many targets he had right now or against against Denver, but it, I know it wasn't that much. Um, he had that big first down catch uh, early in the game to, to extend, I think, the first drive. But matter of fact, let me see. How many targets did he have? He had, he had five targets. Yeah, had five targets, three catches. And, and um, this this offense is not predicated to necessarily feed someone the ball that much. It, it's to spread the ball around. That's why that's why uh, he hit ten different targets. He had ten yeah. different receivers. Like that. That's just what it is. Um, you know, maybe we see in Kansas City last year they fed Travis Kelsey the ball because they ain't got no receivers on the outside. But but maybe also what we're seeing too, AJ. We may be seeing a lot of what they're doing in the first two games to set up those bigger plays going forward to get those guys, you know, because right now those safeties are playing deep, you know, they, they don't want to see Terry and Jahan get off deep, but if you keep hitting them with the short stuff, because that's what Jahan and them has mostly been feeding off of so far to start the season mm-hmm. is the little intermediate routes, the short stuff. But I think that could be the setup, the biggest stuff going forward. And I'm, <laughs> that's one of the things that's intriguing me about watching these two. Yes. Fellas, um, Alta, you are hilarious. You know what's crazy? That's not even like default is one thing, but I ain't even, like my. If you can guess, matter of fact, everybody in the comments because I, I gotta go. I gotta. We got another show to, to record. Um, if you all can guess what my most my most common uh celebrity lookalike is, um, I cash happy lunch money, bro. I ain't doing too much. I cash. Hey, you lunch might money. you you might as well cash at me because I already know. It. Nah, don't but say it, don't say it. Don't, yeah, don't say it to them, bro. <laughs> but if y'all can do that, man, I cash up you much money, man. Um, but yeah, that's that's gonna wrap it up for us. Uh, we got to get up out of here. Uh, but we'll be back Thursday for 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 Bills pregame, and then all thirty two is coming out tomorrow, seven p.m. Eastern. Dre, AJ, man, y'all boys be safe. But we gonna lock in Thursday. Enjoy the rest of y'all evening, man. Watch him throw the ball, we gon' pick it off You gon' let him hit the hole or you gon' cut it off You gon' play through fourth and long or you gon' punt it off Your defenders have you hit us, put your pads in Don't be looking for the ref to throw no flags in Keep the helmet on, keep the cleats tight You the type to want to win by any means, right? You should look alive, this is Trap Dive Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.